Welcome, everyone, to the return of Signals from Mars, uh, brought to you by the Mars Attacks podcast. This week, it isn't deja vu all over again, but we welcome once again, Mr. Brad Brad Dahl. Yeah. Hey! I need to get I need to get the better lighting, you know, the the coming off the the front. I gotta I gotta get that figured out. Yeah, I have one of these ring lights right in front yeah, of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm all washed out, and not not like I could be any whiter than I am. <laughs> cool. So that's um, not a problem here. <laughs> for those that are subscribed to Mars Attacks, you actually got to check out Brad's episode. The last episode that um, that we recorded, or the last live stream that I recorded, which was back on January 22nd, and that was episode 199 of the Mars Attacks podcast. So what we're recording tonight is officially episode 200. Um, I sent out emails and feelers to about um, 375 people, and Brad was the only one that responded. So uh, I appreciate uh, Brad for coming on. Actually, um, I was the dope that, you know, for the longest time I kept thinking, you know, once I get to these milestone episodes, I got to have, you know, I got to make it a big deal. And then today as I'm putting together, you know, the stuff for the uh, live stream, um, for the last live stream and, and the podcast version of it, I realized I'm like, oh shit, it's episode 200. Uh, I guess I should have touched base with people, you know, maybe last week or, you know, previous to like a few hours before the episode is going live. So, you know, I, I did reach out to a few people and a few people were tied up. You know, I wanted to kind of make it like a, you know, a metal summit here, but, um, but, uh, as Jeremy is saying, Jeremy is saying, great, Brad again. Um, you know, and I say great, Jeremy again. Um, there you go. I just commented on your Patreon page that it's unbelievable how much music he listens to every day. I don't know what he does for a living, but right. well done, Jeremy. I think we should get him on here. He should be in one of these squares. Definitely, yeah. That's, it's something that I've I've been mulling about doing Um in the future, because I mean, the Patreons that I do have on there, yourself, uh, Jeremy, uh, Mike Jones, and Steve Hoker, um, it's a small knit group, but it is a diehard group that comments on all these videos and things. And it's cool to, uh, you know, hear people um, comment about what they've been checking out throughout the week. And um, it's it's awesome to um, to see. For example, Jeremy was bringing up today uh, a Crocus album from a few years ago, Hoodoo, um, which I'm sure for most people kind of flew under the radar because they're um, you know they're not as big as, as they once were. I mean, think back to the '80s where you know Screaming in the Night and um, Long Stick Goes Bo- Long Stick Goes Boom was them, yeah and um midnight maniac and all that stuff you know they they were they were big they were a pretty big band at the time but you know uh, they were one of these bands that kind of fell apart in the late 80s early 90s so um yeah i got i got a a quick crocus story by the way Uh, okay go Uh, ahead fire away yeah so back in um i don't know sometime in the 90s oh no it's probably in the uh, early 2000s uh we're auditioning singers for our band um, cause you know how it is getting singers. Uh, sure. If there's any singers listening, Hey, you know, 
<laughs> what can I say? <laughs> they come and they come and they go. And uh, so right. we had this one guy and he says, Hey, he says the band I'm playing in now is warming up for Crocus. Uh, you guys should come check me out. So, you know, got us in and everything. And it was at this uh, uh, club in Salt Lake city, Utah. And they were on the rock the block tour. And by the way, I got to tell you, if you haven't heard that album, I'm going to say right now, that's the best album ACDC never recorded. I'm, ser- <laughs> I'm serious. It is it is so good. It sounds right. great. I mean, when my son was just a wee little kid and I'd have that on in a car, he'd just be like, oh, this is great, man. Crank it up. Crank it up. <laughs> the drums are big and the riffs are big. And and uh, yeah, it is, it, it is a really awesome rock album and talk about something that really went under the radar but anyway so i get yeah. to i get to the show and his band was playing and it was kind of like eh, you know he was all right and, and, and everything we ended up you know and he joined we played with us for like five years or so um good guy uh <laughs> but i won a t-shirt yeah, they oh, had wow. a contest and i won a crocus t-shirt for from the tour and uh so that was kind of cool i wish i was wearing that right now instead i've got iron maiden which is pretty healthy Let's see. This is the world tour 1990, 1982, excuse me. Oh, wow. Which I didn't get to see him on that because I was uh, somewhere in the South. But anyway, <laughs> so that's my Crocus story. And, oh, and they were really good. And Mark Starachi was really the only um, Crocus guy in the band anymore. Um, they had, uh, was it Mandy? Um, Mandy Mayer. Yeah, Manny Mayer was playing uh, guitar because uh, uh, Fernando dropped out of the band right after they did the album and did some Europe shows. He's okay. like, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to, Amer- I can't do the accent, the Swiss accent, but I'm not going to America and, you know, staying in crappy places and playing clubs. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, Manny did it and Manny was awesome. I mean, the whole yeah. band was really good. It was a rock solid, just, I mean. It was unbelievable how good they were. So I became a huge fan that night and went back and bought a whole bunch of their stuff. And I've bought every album since. And yeah, they've gone back to more of the, the real uh, nuts and bolts rock stuff, uh, ACDC-ish type stuff. Uh, but every album they've done since has been great, in my opinion. Yeah, Mandy's an awesome guitarist because he was, he's been in and out of Crocus over the years. He's been in Asia. Yeah. He was in... Um, uh, Kathmandu, which was a band that Dave King had after after he left Fastway and before he formed Flogging Molly. Um, so such such an interesting thing, you know. Somebody who talk about wanting to forget their past. Uh, Dave King wants nothing to talk about his hard rock past for whatever reason. Which you know, all right, I get what he's doing now is his you know whatever. It's what's made him absolutely famous uh, a lot more than Fastway did obviously because flocking molly it's huge especially on the festival scene but i mean to kind of just look back and 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 just like poo poo that whole part of your history you know it's kind of what got you from point a to point b it isn't as if you know he was caught you know raising fight fight you know uh, pit bulls to fight one another something like that it wasn't something terrible that he did you know it was okay so you were part of a hard rock band when that was the thing to do you know so i i don't know i i've never kind of got that so um yeah i'm, I'm with you there i've i've never seen Fastway. i don't i i guess i own uh the last Fastway album and i think uh, let me think if I'm right on this, or was it wasted? I mean, I think it's Fastway that Toby um, Jepson sings on it. Right. Yeah, that dude can sing. 
Yeah, but that's that's the only Fastway album that I do not like. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge Fastway fan. I have everything. I have oh, um, okay. I have their they they did a um, reworked album. I have. Um, uh, they have an album when Dave King left with a guy named Lee Hart, who had uh, played with uh, Joan Jett and a bunch of other people. Um, he recorded an album. He recorded two albums with Fast Eddie Clark. And initially they weren't available in the States. And it was one of these things where I came to Spain on vacation and I saw Fastway. um Shit, now I don't remember the name of the album, but the album, the cover's black and white. It's Lee Hart and uh, and and um, Fast Eddie Clark together, just the two of them on the cover. And um, and I remember at the time, I mean, now with all the vinyl craze and you see like the different thicknesses of the albums, this was like 180 gram vinyl before that was a thing. You know, I remember buying this and taking it out. I'm like, whoa, this is like, twice as thick as any vinyl I've ever seen. And, and I had that, that album was not released in the States until I don't even, I think like maybe five years later it was one of these things where they bounced around. Cause that was on like, um, like GWR, which who had like motorhead at the time. And there were rumors that Vinnie Vincent was on that label and they went belly up. And, you know, there was all this weird stuff that had, that had happened with them. But Lee Hart had recorded that album and Bad Bad Girls was the last album. Then um, they did a reworked album, which was the first Lee Hart album reworked with like, they, they that was like a real like Bon Jovi sounding album with heavy, heavy keyboards and stuff like that. So they stripped away the keyboards and added more guitars, uh, added more soloing to it. And then they had Lee Hart sing a lot of the old uh, Dave King stuff. And some of it's okay and some of it's, you know, their vocal styles are so different that, you know, it just wasn't as good uh, in, in my opinion. From there, they released a live box set and then they did that Toby Jepsen album, uh, Dog Eat Dog, I think is the yeah, name. Yeah, or? That, that's it, Dog Eat Dog. Yeah, I just, I couldn't get past the lyrics. And and I really like uh, Wayward Sons, I think is the name of the band yeah, that yeah, Toby that, Jepsen yeah. has. Yep. That's a great band. But is. I, I guess for me with Fastway, I was expecting something a little different. And, you know, I don't know, when it gets to the point where we're talking about like, Guys pushing seventy year old, seventy years old in age, talking about chasing tail. Uh, there's just something there that's just kind of disconcerting to me. So I mean, I don't know. Um, I talking about dog tail. I mean, it is doggy. It could dog. be. <laughs> could be. So uh, let's see. Jeremy has responded. Jeremy says, "I'm an I'm an economist, believe it or not, and I mostly listen in bed at night." Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I would do that. In fact, I, I've taught myself because I work in a lot of graveyard shifts. I've, I've, I I put music on during the day to sleep so I don't right. hear other things in the house. And I've taught myself to sleep with music on, and which is an awesome skill. Uh, but, you know, my wife, she, yeah, she ain't going to go with me playing music at night while we're sleeping. <laughs> I, I, I put on headphones, but they're not that comfortable to sleep in. Yeah. Yeah, that, it's a, that's a nightly battle with, with me as well. I mean, and, and my problem is, you know, I could throw a playlist on random to try to fall asleep. 
And then you get a song that comes up that just gets the blood flowing all of a sudden. And, and I'm a very light sleeper. So, you know, you, you start listening to something, it starts getting you pumped up and it's like, ah, screw it. I'm not going to be able to sleep now, you know? So I, I got to be careful with that. Um, let's see. Uh, Jose chimes in saying, great to have you back. Awesome. Thank you for being back, uh, Jose, as well. On Like Jeremy, almost week after week you're here. Um, let's see. And Jeremy says, nothing wrong with a good um, maiden shirt. I've never seen crocus. They hardly ever come to the UK. There you go. That's for the, um, I actually had a pin of that. Uh, that's for the uh, number of the beast single, actually that shirt. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a pin of, of that on a uh, jean jacket and, and I got, I got in, my brother got me in trouble with my parents because I wore it to church once with, I went to church with that pin on my jacket. So do you, do you guys realize that's the devil in uh, that guy's hand? <laughs> so um, it was, yeah. Don't, don't you realize all those books in church talk about the devil too? Come on. <laughs> that's some equal time here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I have to be, uh, it's funny. I, I talk to my brother all the time about, um, I, I, I was actually lucky. My brother's six years older than me. So, um, I was four and I knew who kiss was thanks to him having destroyer and having alive too. And then, you know, as time went by things like, uh, back in black and Pink Floyd's the wall and Ted Nugent scream dream and cheap tricks live at Budokan. Um, Trying to think there was a Pat Benatar album that somebody gave him somewhere along the ways as well. But, you know, I, th I was lucky to have that diversity early on to to appreciate a lot of different forms of rock music and open my ears and want to get into other stuff. Because, I mean, me on my own, um, I went on a nothing but kiss diet on my own from 77 to 83. I think, uh, a quiet riots metal health is the first thing that I actually picked up. That wasn't by kiss, you know, for, uh, between the ages of four and, uh, what 10, it was me like going back and, and getting the kiss catalog basically. So, no, that's a good diet to have though. Yeah. Oh, and actually we had uh, physical graffiti and Led Zeppelin four as well. Almost forgot those. Yeah, it's so. good to have an older brother. Uh, my brother, uh, the same thing, turned me on to a, a lot of stuff, uh, kind of helped me get going. And and now here I am turning him on to stuff. So that's a that's a that's awesome. Yeah, it's great whenever he texts me like, what was that song you just played? What was, you know, <laughs> I really like that. And right. Coming from him, that's that's the highest compliment. So. Yeah, the, the, the closest thing that I've gotten to that from my brother was we went to go see um, uh, the Maximum Rocks tour. This was back in 2000, I guess. And it was supposed to be Anthrax, Motley Crue, and uh, Megadeth. But by the time they got to our show, Anthrax had already been booted from the tour because they weren't making enough money. Um and so it was uh, Megadeth and Motley Crue. And it was my brother's, like, he knew who Megadeth was because he had heard me play them. But he saw them in concert. And even though that was the lineup with uh, Al Petrelli and with Jimmy DeGrasso, he was still blown away by them. So that converted him to, to make him a, a Megadeth fan for life. So, um, so yeah. So you're saying that's the lesser version of, of Megadeth? <laughs> 
No, I, um, <laughs> I, I don't say that that's the lesser version. I mean, I think that they put out a, a good album. Um, the, what was that album? Uh, um, shit. At the time that we saw them, they were uh, promoting Capital Punishment. So The World Needs a Hero, I think, was the, the album that that lineup recorded. I mean, it wasn't a bad album. I mean, I don't think that there's... I mean, outside of maybe Risk, is, is is have they really ever put out something that absolutely sucks beginning to end? I mean, I, I think with most bands, uh, or maybe it's just that I'm just very forgiving that I can go through a band's albums and say, okay, well, I can pick out three or four songs that I like. This will go in my, you know, whoever playlist, and, and I'm fine with the album, where other people will just, like, beat it to death. The really album absolutely sucked. In, in Megadeth's case, I know a lot of people didn't like Superconductor or, or Super Collider, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, I like the title track. I like the Thin Lizzy cover. And there's um, there's two other songs off of that that I like. Is the album great? No. But there are, you know, um, there, there are different spots on the album that I think that are good. Um, and, and I think people's misconception all the time is you know, every time that you sit down to eat, you don't expect to have the greatest meal you've ever had. You know, I think most people are just happy to eat and kind of, you know, fight off being hungry. Whereas with music, I don't get it. People are, well, you know, it's not back in black too, or it's not master of puppets too. So it, it has to suck, you know, just because you don't like something as much as your favorite album by a band, does not mean that it sucks that, you know, it, it can still be good, but not as good as your favorite album by them. So, yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. Cause I, th- I, I feel like, you know, and I think you said that, uh, you know, you expected or expectations. I think that's a, a real problem now is that, you know, we go into things with expectations. Right. And I mean, let's, let's go back to kiss. Cause there's nothing wrong with going back to kiss. Okay. I, I started with the very first album. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, somebody loaned it to me and then they loaned me the second album when it came out. Uh, and I don't know, I thought those were really different albums. Of course the sound yeah. is way, way different. Right. But, um, I don't know. And even the third dress to kill. I mean, it, it, the songs were, you know, I guess they're all kind of in the same vein, mm-hmm. uh, but but they were still very different. I mean, you can kind of you get a feel for each album. It wasn't like, well, we're just trying to remake the first album. Right. And and then, uh, yeah, when Destroyer came out, though, that was like a really hard left turn for me. Right. Especially audio wise, the, the just the kind of over polished and mm-hmm. where the instruments all sounded so far away and, you know, piano playing all the bass notes and which which is cool now but i mean back then it was like hey this isn't uh, it wasn't it wasn't my expectation i was expecting right. guitar bass and drums and that's it and uh so i don't know what, what was your first kiss album um alive 2 was the first thing that i ever heard and we had destroyer so after listening to um, alive 2 a ton i started listening to destroyer but i mean i i understand exactly what you're saying because the production from the self-titled debut to hotter than hell is just so different and then even dress to kill dress to kill has and i don't think they get enough credit for uh, some of the com- complexity to some of the stuff that they've written. You know, a lot of people sit back and just dis- 
just pan them because, oh, it's just all image. Now, that stuff's so easy to play. Well, there's one thing with playing this the songs, and there's another thing with playing them right. Um, because if you listen to a lot of Dress to Kill there are a lot of overdubs. There's a lot of like acoustic guitar going on in the background, like doubling a lot of like the rhythm parts. And there's, there's a lot of little intricacies that I think a lot of people pan because they're used to hearing the live version of some of these tracks. So obviously in a live setting, even though they re-recorded a lot of the stuff, you're not hearing a 12 string guitar in the background. So, um, but I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying, you know, as much as, I love Destroyer for a very long time. Um, you know, at this point in time, I almost would prefer to listen to Dress to Kill or Rock and Roll Over instead of Destroyer. Um, a lot of that has to do with just having listened to it so much that I'm kind of worn out. But, you know, I, I get exactly what you're saying because that is, if, if you listen to the albums in order, that is just, as you put it, such a left turn in comparison to everything else that they had done previous. Yeah. Yeah. And of course they made even more turns as, as they got into the eighties, but, but anyway, I, I mean, it seemed like in the seventies, it was okay for a band to do an album that, you know, had a cohesive kind of sound for that album that maybe touched on a lot of different things. Right. And then the next album to not be anything like that album. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite bands, Blue Oyster Cult, was a great example of that. I mean, their albums were so different from album mm -hmm. to album to album. And yeah, it, I don't know. I like that. I, I like that a band, yeah. and, you know, is willing to do that. And I know in my own personal band, you know, it's like we went and, you know, you'd write a bunch of songs, you'd go in and record them, and then you'd start writing new songs, but you'd be kind of in a different headspace and be writing different things. And so it's like, right. oh, we're not trying to sound like that, you know? So it's kind of, a, 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 I don't know. It, but then when you play it all live, it all fits somehow. And, and, and yeah, you know, a cool thing. So. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at the Sabbath albums were like that as well. Zeppelin albums oh. were like that. The Stones. I mean, sure. You have like, obviously the voice doesn't change all that much, but the music changes and maybe the way that things are delivered with the voice have been different. And it's, it's funny that you bring that up. Like back in 2012, I started um, putting some demos together and stuff. And, you know, my idea was since I was podcasting at the time, I was going to reach out to people that I knew to see if they would want to get involved and help me um, uh, record some of this stuff because you know, outside of playing the drums, I'm kind of a hack on bass and on guitar and, you know, my vocals uh, leave a lot to be desired. So, you know, I, I figured, okay, well, um, I found the cause, you know, I, uh, there was someone who I dated who passed away a few years after that. And what I thought was in the meantime, um, I wanted to raise money and kind of donate it in her name uh, to a specific foundation. And um, and what I received from different people was, oh, no one's going to listen to this because it sounds so different. And I said, well, what do you mean? Said, well, yeah, you know, you listen to hard rock or metal albums now, and every song more or less sounds similar. I said, well, that's why these these albums aren't 
you know, they aren't memorable and they are in long lasting because you have one big song, then you have the B version, the C version and the D version and everything else is just kind of throwaway material. Whereas you look back at, you know, uh, stuff that was from the seventies or, or even the eighties, you're, you're wearing a, a maiden t-shirt. You, you listen to these classic maiden albums and no two songs sound the same. You know, you listen to those first seven Maiden albums and every song is different. Sure, you get the gallop every now and then. You get certain screams and things that are the same. But it isn't as if you could sit down and say, oh, well, you know, that's Run to the Hills Part 2 or that's Wasted Years Part 2. You know, they're big songs. And even the songs that aren't, there weren't like radio hits per se, they didn't all sound like one another, which I think is a, is, is a lost art, you know, with, with bands. I, I would almost prefer bands put out an EP of four very different sounding songs as opposed to putting out 10 songs that all sound the same. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree with you. And yeah, and you know, I, you said it's a lost art, and that's that's a really good point. Because I mean, look, let, let's look at Iron Maiden for a moment. Okay, let's look at their last like five or six albums. I kind of feel like they've gotten formulaic. You know, where they yes. all start off really kind of slow and ethereal, and and then they kind of build up to something. And and I and I don't know, maybe it's because I haven't. You know, it, obviously when we we're teenagers, you sit there and you listen to one album over and over and over and over and over. And maybe it's because I haven't. Uh, spend that uh, amount of time with each of the newest Iron Maiden albums. Right. I, I kind of feel like they've gotten formulaic and, and just kind of interchangeable and not distinct, not like each album's like, Ooh, Oh, that's, yeah, that's different. Yeah. It really has a different sound. I also think maybe the producer, since they're using the same guy, um, even though Martin Birch, Martin Birch <laughs> seemed to always get different sounds in each album. It's not like he was recreating that previous album, but I feel like, uh, is it Jerry Shirley? Is that who's or what? Kevin, uh, Kevin Jerry. Shirley, <laughs> Jerry Shirley. He's Jerry Shirley was fa- fast way drummer was and humble pie yeah. drummer. Yeah. We've all come back to the <laughs> fast way. <laughs> we opened up for Aaron Maiden on the piece of the mind tour yeah. uh, with my brother, which I understand my brother's listening right now. So shout out to my brother, Dave. Awesome. Uh, uh, yeah, he uh I couldn't go to that show. So he went he went to that with a good friend, my best friend Dave. So I, I hang out with a lot of Daves. So Dave and Dave. Yeah, Dave and Dave. They went to that show. It was uh Iron Maiden, uh Saxon and Fastway. And, oh wow. Uh, so yeah, yeah, very I think Saxon was doing um um oh guy, what is it? Uh Power and the Glory. Power and the Glory. Okay. So, so yeah. <laughs> So good times, but I, but I missed it. So, so there you go. Um, one thing I didn't miss, I, 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 we're good jumping all over the place, but you know, Jeremy That's fine. talking about a live too. you were talking about a live too. So fun, yeah. fun little fact. I actually went to one of those shows at the LA forum where that album was recorded. Oh, wow. Um, and you you talked about cheap trick earlier. They were the warm up band for that. Oh, wow. Uh, cool. Tour. Now growing up in LA, LA, like, okay. <laughs> audiences in LA are a lot different than rock audiences in Utah, Utah. Mm-hmm. They're pretty much happy with anybody who comes here. <laughs> I mean, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen anybody get booed here and no matter how mixed up the, the lineup is or whatever, people are, are pretty patient here and they're just happy. People are here playing music and they love right. it. But LA, Oh my gosh. You know, it's like, we're here for the, the headlining band and the opening bands. We're just going to give them hell. And uh, cheap trick was like that. 
people, oh, guy, people were booing the crap out of him. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, they hated him. And uh, I was, and of course, you look at him, you're like, what the, what the, what the hell is this crap? <laughs> 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 it was, yeah, that was, it was, it was really weird. And it's kind of funny. You look back down, and you think, wow, people booed Cheap Trick, especially a Kiss audience. That's kind of weird. Right. Um, one other, one other crazy one was that uh, the Ramones were warming up for, I, I'm feeling like it was Ozzy Osbourne at the Long Beach oh, wow. Sports Arena. <laughs> yeah. And so the Ramones are playing and, and I don't know if you ever seen the Ramones. Yes. Okay. So I don't know whether this is the way they normally do it, but they never, they don't stop in between songs. Right. They just go song to song to song to song to song. And I kind of thought the reason they were doing that is because everybody was booing so loudly <laughs> that they just didn't want to hear the booze. So they were just playing song to song. I mean, people were actually going out and buying drinks to throw at them. <laughs> and and you know how much a drink costs at a concert. It's like holy crap, right. man, that's that's really, yeah, that that's really getting the audience going there. Uh, another guy was another show. Oh, it was Mike Michael Schenker on his first album, and he was playing a place called the Country Club out in Reseda, okay, out in the, out in the yeah. valley of, of LA. Uh, kind of a was a famous place at the time. Bruce Dickinson recorded a solo, uh, his first solo tour recorded a, a DVD there, and and also an album. Okay. Um, but uh, anyway, the band they had warm up for for Michael Shanker was a new wave band, the Rubber City Rebels. Guy, what? Yeah, how can I remember this stuff? The Rubber City Rebels. <laughs> and oh my gosh, people! And and this is this is a uh, I don't know what year that was. That had to be like eighty, I think. Yeah, nineteen eighty. Okay. So at that time, I mean, before that, you go to metal concerts, people just wore clothes. You know, all right. of a sudden now in nineteen eighty, it's like if you weren't wearing leather. Then something, you know, you were like, something's wrong with you. What are you doing here, man? You got to be wearing a leather jacket and all this stuff. It got to be more of a fashion show, uh, more like, hey, I'm into metal, even though whatever. But anyway, people right. were so pissed off at this band. Yeah, they were spitting on them. I, I remember the uh, somebody hawking a loogie and it hitting the singer in the head, and it was kind of dripping off his nose. And I'm like, <laughs> this, this ain't cool, man. This is not cool. Somebody threw, because it was a bar, too, and so they had right. drink, drinks and glasses. Somebody threw a glass with full, fully loaded with ice and a drink at the guys, and it luckily missed the guy, hit Cozy Powell's drums. Oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, hey, that ain't cool. Those are Cozy's yeah. drums, man. You can't, you can't diss do Cozy's drums like that. But uh, yeah, so L.A. No, it's tough to be. Oh, another great one. Uh, Judas Priest. Wait, let, uh, hold on a second, Brad. Let let me cut you off just one second because we do have someone else joining us here. Okay, good. Let's see. We have Mr. Mark Striegel joining us. What? Hey, Victor. Hey, Brad. How are you, man? Can you hear hey, me? Good. Good, Mark. How are you? Yeah, I don't have my official mic hooked up, so it's the computer audio. I'm good. I'm good. So did Cozy Powell play with Bruce Dickinson? No, 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 no. That was Michael oh, Shanker okay. group. It was the first oh, Michael okay. Shanker. I, I some of that. It was okay. yeah, it was Michael Shanker's first solo tour. And the cool thing was, you know, back then there was no internet, so you had no idea who was gonna be in the band. I mean, you saw who was on the album. You're like, oh, cool. Are we going to see Simon Phillips? It's like, hell no. He ain't going to tour with them. Right. Right. You know, but uh, uh, yeah. So you walk in there and of course you see the, the huge drums. And of course they say Cozy Pal on the kicks. And, be, and it's, I don't think they had the rainbow on them anymore. But but I was like, oh, crap. Cozy Pal's playing with Michael Shanker. Oh, this is going to be incredible. Yeah. And yeah, so it was a it, it was an incredible show. That was a God, that was a great 1980 was a great year for music, man. So, yeah, I think yeah. so too. 80, I think 83 was another like uh, really incredible year. I, I feel like 83 for me was that last year 
before things as though water down with like too much reverb and too much over 80, you know, the eighties production uh, to me, like really kicked in in like 84 where, where things were just uh, the seventies were completely left behind at that point. But um, yeah, what a, what a time for music, man, the early eighties. Okay. Well, what do you guys? I got one other LA warm-up okay. thing, and then, I'll, and then I'll get off this. But it was uh, a Judas Priest. Okay, it was a stained class tour. First time I ever saw him. It was at the Whiskey, and the warm-up band was this guy. I think his name was Gary Valentine. He was in the Blondie for a while. I don't know. He was playing guitar, singing. Uh, but oh god, the 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 audience was just abusing him i mean just verbally abusing him and in the whiskey you can hear these things gary valentine yeah gary i think it's gary valentine so anyway he was he was introducing one of his songs he says uh this song is called i like girls and it was just dead quiet in the place and one guy goes (laughs) i doubt that (laughs) (laughs) yeah historically i've always had people tell me that the la crowd was you were lucky that if the front row wasn't uh, didn't have their arms folded because yeah. a lot of people had always said, you know, most of the people in the front row are people that want to be up on stage, uh, want to be in a band that's touring, but they're the musicians that are still stuck in LA with their arms folded. So they're not impressing me or, you know, that doesn't impress me. So. Yeah, that sounds like I, I saw Frank Zappa once in L.A. and uh, he he was trying to get people to do something. And then he goes, oh, wait a second. I forgot I'm in L.A. It's like you don't want to take the chance that somebody's going to look over and, and recognize you. Like maybe it's your agent going, what is he doing? He shouldn't be clapping. You know, you, should, <laughs> you, know, you shouldn't be singing along. Uh, uh, yeah. So he pretty much dissed all those people. And and uh, yeah, Gary yeah, but you're, you're right, though. You go to concerts there. You see a lot of musicians. Mark, as far as, I mean, you got to see a lot of shows in, you know, the Chicagoland area. Uh, Is there anything like identifiable with the crowds out in that area, as opposed to maybe what you've become accustomed to in the uh, uh, New York metropolitan area? Um, mm, It's it's an interesting question. Not, not really. uh, Nothing I can think of. I mean, obviously, I mean, as we've spoken, I don't want to go on this tangent again, but as, as we've spoken <laughs> about before, the the uh, Manhattan crowd, um, the elites who, who actually live in Manhattan and, and the Lower East Side of Manhattan, um, to me, have always been, you know, so far removed from what you'd see just across the river in New Jersey or, you know, it, it was such a different crowd i always gave, give the example of seeing degeneration like sold out at cbgb's and then going across the river to studio one and um you know there's 12 people there <laughs> but <clears throat> as far as growing up in the chicagoland area uh where i lived from i guess like 83 to 80 almost 88 uh yeah i, I don't know man i don't I, I mean, I was too young to be going to the clubs. I mean, I went to some all age shows at a place called the Thirsty Whale. And uh, I mean, it was the 80s. So, I, I mean, I, there were always fights, you know, it's a different, different vibe. I mean, you get you get fights sometimes nowadays. I think I, I saw a fight at the Iron Maiden show in Brooklyn, but it's it's rare. It's like. I feel like there was, you know, it was the Wild West back then. It was way more confrontational, right. you know, 
kids were drunk. They were 17 years old. You know, it, it was just like it was it was such a different vibe. You know, there was this the safety element wasn't there. You know, people bum rushed the stage. And, yeah, so it was, it was definitely definitely uh, there was a, I think if anything, it's more of a time time thing. Things were just so much more uh, dangerous. I think literally, uh, you know, and emotionally back, back then for, for me, you know, whereas now you go to a bunch of concerts, it's all a bunch of old people, you know, walking <laughs> that's us. But yeah. So, but Victor, for, I, I, I can't, the three of us, we all have our hair. Yeah. Well, for so now, that, yeah. that that's, for now, different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's different. It's not yeah. the old, old, uh, chubby white bald guy that's there. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of those, but yeah, we're not in that <laughs> club quite yet, but Victor, I just wanted to, you know, I only can hang out a little bit cause we're, okay. we're um, kind of, I got to clean the kitchen and do our afternoon walk with the dogs here. But I did want to say, this is awesome. The 200th episode of Mars attacks, right? So congratulations yeah. on that. And, and so this will be re repackage as a podcast too yeah yeah this will come out in the auto audio version next week i i repackage all the uh live stream stuff so in the event that i don't have another interview recorded or anything at least people are getting some sort of content from me right yeah it's awesome and yeah so congratulations on that big milestone when did it start again 2009 2009, um, a little over 11 years ago, had a, a chat with you in, in a bar in uh, Manhattan after coming out of uh, Bionic. Um, you had told me, you know, I like what you're doing um, with that Spanish podcast. I like the music, but I have no idea what you're talking about. How about you do a show in English? And it took me like a day to think about it. I'm like, okay. Now, what <laughs> bar was that? That Was that a bar, like a, a kind of a down and out bar on like Thirty-fifth Street or Thirty-sixth Street, like somewhere. it was really close to Bionic, and it's actually there. There's um, the picture that I've been using for the Mark Striegel show up on Patreon was right. taken at that bar. Huh. Okay. I sort of. I think I know where that may have been, but um, but yeah, man, that's awesome. It's like not too many people get to two hundred episodes. Not to mention. Uh, like how many how many years 2009 so yeah it's it's over 11 years i mean it kind of sucks that it's taken me this long i was listening to the uh episode that uh, brad was on with chris sinzak where he's saying yeah. that they're at like 500 something and they started a year after me yeah so. and i did want to since we're here with brad i wanted to just say hey thank you brad for joining me on episode 909 of the talking metal podcast that was great fun and we definitely if anyone hasn't heard that please check it out episode 909 of the talking metal podcast some great discussion we didn't have any rock stars on that episode which i actually found refreshing it was chris sinzak from decibel <laughs> geek brad from yarg metal and uh you know and, and yeah <laughs> and we had a guitar builder by the name of sully so great fun i see jeremy weltman in the in the uh chat yeah in the old days i was scared to go to monsters rock too many Hell's Angels. Yeah, man, I, I remember the Hell's Angels in New York, too, and, and them roaming around, being at shows. They were always a intimidating presence. Did you get those in L.A., Brad? Uh, no, not so much. I, I don't I don't I don't remember ever being scared. I do remember one guy wanting to kick my ass once at a Blue to Colt Pat Travers show. Uh, and and I got to tell you, going back and again, this is the 70s. So. Uh, one thing I learned early on is never get in a fight at a concert, because even if you 
beat the other guy up, the bouncers will beat the crap out of you. Right. And plus right. you're getting your ass thrown out. So you're going to miss the rest of the concert. So this is yeah. a really bad, bad time to get in a, a fight. You, there's no way you can win a fight at a concert, at least back then. Yes. That is now, true. now they'd probably just offer a, a therapist to sit down with you. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think because of the cell phone stuff, I mean, there's, People don't want it. The bouncers are a little more reserved because they don't want to get busted with, you know, footage of them beating the shit out of somebody. Back then, it was just anything, anything goes, you know, same with the shows. Mm. I mean, you had a bad show. You know, it was it was uh, left yeah. behind. You no. Know? And I remember seeing Whitesnake and Coverdale couldn't sing at all, you know, and and those those. uh those videos, you know, and then the next week, my friend was like, Oh, he sounded great, you know, but you know, it was just like those <laughs> disappeared forever, you know, that was just a moment in time that wasn't always captured on, on uh, cell phone footage or bootlegged, if you will, to go up on YouTube. And there was something cool about that, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And yeah. it also made everything special, like when there was a live album that would come out, because then you'd be like, wow, this is what the band sounds like, or, you know, it, yeah, everything was, uh, yeah, those are different times. Now everything is so disposable, so readily available. Yeah, right on, right on. And by the way, uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, every, everybody yeah, needs was, to check out Yarg Metal. I don't know if you've plugged it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, you can hear me on Yarg Metal 24-7 and my little bits in between songs. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I'm eventually going to do live broadcasting. What 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 was that that's playing there, Bros? Uh, now it's switched over. Yeah, Bros, bros and, and Drums. drums oh, a piece. From a piece. You know, I gotta I gotta tell you, or however you want to pronounce that. Yeah, I really I really like that album. I think it's a strong rock album, and I know a lot of those are re-recording of of other songs that were done by uh, other people, like even a Blue Murder songs on there. But they have different singers. You know, Robin McCauley, I think, sings the Blue Murder song. But I think that album, it sounds good. Uh, the songs rock. I I really like that album a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, funny. My brother used to work with one of their uncles. And he would always tell them the whole um, Apice, Apici, uh, Apice story all the time. Because uh, when my brother met the guy, he says, hey, you know, there's two famous drummers that have your last name. Yeah, they're my uh, they're my nephews. Yeah, my mom was always giving them shit about changing, you know, about pronouncing the last name wrong. So the story that they always read, you know, that they always tell is 100 percent factual. It's always been like a running gag within the family. Right. Which so, uh, another thing about Mark here is I really love his uh, um his Carmine interviews that he's been uh, throwing wow. up there on YouTube. Well, funny so. you should mention that, Brad, because you just mentioned Blue Murder and the very next one that <laughs> will go up, hopefully, as soon as Carmine tells me it's all right to post, because it's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it looks and sounds great. Is Car Carmine shying away from publicity? Yeah, it, it is a piece on Carmine t telling me about Blue Murder and it, some interesting stuff I did not know about, like Ray Gillen's involvement. Oh, yeah. Martin's involvement and uh, some good story, Bob Rock. And, and so some really good uh, Blue Murder stuff. It's about six minutes long. I, I actually literally just before dinner sent it to Carmine to get him to sign off on it. And it usually takes him like five days to even look at it. And then, uh, <laughs> 
he'll be like, uh, yeah, can you change, can you change that one bite and make me, you know, to pull that out. And then it's another five days when I send them the next cut. So, <laughs> so it could be, it could be a couple weeks before you see it, but I'm hopeful it'll right. be sooner than that. Cause it's, it's good. It's good. It's good stuff. So he talks about Ray Gillen coming in and out of, of blue murder then not, not much. No, he mentions that he was originally involved in it. And then he says yeah. Tony Martin was involved and then they were on their way to the studio to record the record in vancouver and tony martin basically quit flaked out yeah so like and they got bob rock was like we'll come out to the studio anyways and and we'll record it and i guess they kind of went to john to record just as default because their singer had left at the last minute so yeah wow yeah, you can you can hear that in the vocals on that first album. It really, if you just listen and don't think John Sykes, you can almost hear Tony Martin a little bit in that. And, and I often thought, I did did he like maybe record some vocal and they kind of left a little bit of it in there? But I don't think so. I think that you know they they probably he had sung, and maybe John was kind of mirroring his uh, singing on those songs a little bit. Right. And that, and that's interesting because that actually happened with the the Sabbath album that Ray Gillen was on, which later ended up with Tony Martin on it. I mean, there's so many things that Tony Martin used as guides to sing by. And then, you know, depending on who you speak to, there's Ray Gillen on certain tracks and, and whatnot. And, um, vocals. Yeah. 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 I remember back in the day, Eddie Trunk brought up the fact that, um, when he started talking about Badlands, the formation of Badlands way back when, he talked about um, Ray Gillen being, you know, going from Sabbath to Blue Murder to Badlands. So I just remember that that story as a kid. So being able to hear, you know, Carmine, even if it's just a few seconds to talk about it, will be really cool. Yeah, definitely. Well, hopefully soon I'll have that posted. So oh, your audio just got pretty awesome there for a moment, Mark. Yeah, just Mine? bumped up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Oh, no yeah. idea. That yeah. was good. Yeah, so keep that Carmine stuff coming. I know you got like what twenty hours in the can or something. Yeah, I, I'm. I can't afford to do much more of it, honestly, because it, <laughs> it, it it costs it costs money to. I'm I'm sure. not. I don't have the time of day to sit there and edit. It's like a six camera shoot. It's a big oh, wow. mess when you load it in, and I, I've literally already spent. I kid you not, like thousands of dollars on that whole Carmine uh, piece thing. So um, I'm trying to get some of it up and just make it as, as short as possible. But this will probably be the last piece. And then I might put up some little sound bites, depending on how, how much it's going to cost me to do to do that. But uh, but yeah, yeah, cool. it's like. Yeah, definitely. Uh, his was I w- wasn't thinking it was going to be this. um involved and and i mean i shot that stuff probably in like late 2019 so it's been maybe even before that mid 2019 so it's been going on a while but it's it's good stuff and you gotta love carmine i mean he's got so many stories i'm not sure how accurate they all are but he <laughs> definitely has a lot of them. is but there listen, any is there anyone who's influenced more people than carmine yeah well if you read the if you've watched the king cobra one he's also fully responsible for for bullet boys yeah right everything the bullet boys did was carmine so that's oh, wow. a, that's the slight exaggeration but i which i'd never heard that but yeah, yeah. i've heard him talk about it several times and i remember back in the day they they mentioned that when the band got together that they had all one way or another funneled through the um 
the bullet boys, but yeah, just hearing you describe that is, is funny because it's, you know, Oh, Keith. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he told me lots of times he was, right. you know, I was an influence. Uh, well, I will say this, I'm reading Ian Gillen's book right now and I do have to okay. jump off here guys, but uh, okay. I, I am reading Ian Gillen's book and he, I actually took a picture of the page and I, I texted it to Carmine in the book. He says that when he joined deep purple, there were already three albums in at that point, And, I forget the first singer's name, Rod Evans or something had left and Ian Gillen took over. And he said that they had actually uh, played with Vanilla Fudge at some festival. And he remembered them. This is before Ian, Ian joined and them telling him, wow, it was so great. We, we opened for our idols, Vanilla Fudge, and they were oh, such wow. an influence on us. And John Lord loved them and Blackmore loved them. So when it comes to him saying that, I mean, there's definitely some documentation yeah. that wow. that is actually true. And that, you know, Hush was a cover and and they saw what what vanilla fudge was doing with covering right. songs and having success and and they they did a similar thing and had a similar sound because when you look at those that song specifically in those first three deep purple records um john lord was more prominent than richie blackmore on those records mm -hmm. whereas uh, it kind of shifted after after the gillen era happened and they made a a conscious decision to become more of a heavier band so so interesting stuff but that is it is verified by gillen gillen saying that vanilla fudge was uh deep purple's heroes so wow cool yeah. so, so there's some validity to it after all yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but guys I, I i just wanted to check in and say hi i do i do have to jump back off i know you still got a few minutes left but yeah it's uh it's awesome hanging with you guys and thank you for 200 episodes victor that's awesome yeah and uh, thank you mark i've said it a million times but without your initial kick in the ass i would have never started podcasting so i i if anyone is to blame for me doing 200 episodes or being involved in podcasting it is you so okay okay <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take full credit all right there you go okay yeah we should do this again guys yeah Absolutely. man yeah man it, it, it's um let's uh let's talk offline we'll make something yeah. happen for sure yeah yeah. Sounds good. All right. All right. See you Thanks, guys. Mark. All right. Have a good night. You too. There was the one and the only Mark Striegel. Awesome. Yeah, I'd like to see him walking Pearl and Otis together, you know, the little little tiny legs going. <laughs> with them. Yeah, it's like how do they keep up with each other? I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such so uh different sized dogs, right? The uh pog yeah. and golden yeah, that's retriever. A, that's a weird mix right there. I don't know. I don't know, but uh, hey, you know, oh, yeah, I see it, Mark, and, and uh, you know, he never talks about himself as a musician, and I'd love to talk to him about that because I, I mean, obviously he's a guitar player. I mean, he can play, right? And I, yeah, I'd really like to get some of his opinions on uh, different guitar players, but maybe maybe we could do that somewhere down the road. Yeah, that that would be uh, something cool to to talk about. Especially, uh, is, is today supposedly a national guitar day? Uh, I haven't heard, but I haven't really been on the internet today. I've been busy okay. running errands and stuff. So, um, but probably it's national something day. Every, it's always every national day something day. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so even, even if we're late to this, I know that, um, he's, um, you know, he's a big explorer guy. Um, oh, I love explorers too. Yeah. Is, is there any, um, 
you know, any, any specific, you obviously have the Frank Bellow base behind you, but what would you consider your favorite um, base? Ooh, that is, that, that is a great question. Um, I'll, I'll get it. I'll, I'll get it. This is, (laughs) Oh, wow. What is that? An an Alembic or. All right. So this, uh, you see the, see the neck on this? Yeah. Yeah. It's aluminum. Okay. Right. Let's get it here in the camera. It's aluminum in the back though. It's inlaid because, uh, if you did I think it was Travis Bean that originally did a f- totally solid aluminum neck base, but the thing was so heavy. I mean, you, right. you, you couldn't keep it other than like this when you're playing. So <laughs> this guy, uh, Oh God, I wish I could remember his name. It started with a T Italian guy. He came up with this idea for this, this neck on, on this is a Kramer. Okay. A Kramer. Like okay. Original Kramers. Yeah. Right. This is a 1978 uh, vintage here. So this is my first, it, it's, it's gone through some remake, uh, different pickups cause, uh, the old ones, uh, the original ones died. So these are active EMGs okay. and, uh, got some other fa- different knobs on it and stuff. Uh, but this thing, I got this in 1978. I, anyway, I met the guy Vaccaro. I think that's what his name was. The, the, the was designing this with Kramer. I met him at a local music store there. That's another cool thing growing up in LA. You just meet these people. Um, and their, their original bases were like fender bodies. They were really big and they're super heavy. And I see why, because you want to balance out the neck. And so I was he, he, I was in there as a kid. You know, you go to the music store and you play everything. And right. they, yeah, it's like every time I walked in, they're like, oh, great. He's here again. And, <laughs> and so anyway, he, I, I was playing. The, he says, here, play this bass and what it, tell me what you think. And I was like, I love the sound because the, the aluminum neck gives it this super heavy kind of cling, you know, like. Uh, almost a piano wire kind of kind of sound it's a right a, very metal okay and and anyway i played it. i said yeah i said here's the problem with this bass is that this body is so huge i, I just don't like it i said man if you could like cut it away might have said i can't get this backwards thing i said if you could just cut it away and make it smaller mm-hmm. um you know that would be really cool and uh, kind of talked to him about what i what i envisioned the bass looking like and by golly within a year here it was. So I'm like, oh, I'll have to buy that base now. Cause even though I'm not credited, I feel like I kind of helped design this base. Right. And so, yeah, this is, this is my favorite base. This one's on most of the recordings I've ever done. It's okay. a, it sounds great in the studio. Um, yeah. So, and it's a Kramer with the aluminum neck, but now that I'm older, this really hard to play. This thing is heavy. It's really hard to play it for a long period of right. time, but great, great sounding base. That's uh, similar to the original Axe bases that uh, Gene Simmons had because they had that same split, same split head. Yeah. Yeah. No, they did. He he put that on, you know, when they came up with that Axe base, that was years later. And he uh, ended up at you. Hey, look, you can see him. Uh, you and my base. There you go. That's me. Uh, that's me uh, in Utah. <laughs> there you go. That's pretty cool. The ghost of the ghost of Victor and the headstock of my base. But um <clears throat> Yeah, so he, uh, he, yeah, he actually had that Vaccaro guy who made the necks for these things make the neck for that base. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I yeah and that, I, I've only been to Nam once, and I ran into that guy. He had his own little booth, and he was trying to bring back these aluminum necks, and I talked to him, and, of course, he didn't remember me, at least he claimed. <laughs> maybe, maybe he thought I was going to want a piece of the action. And I was like, dude, we met, like, when I was 16 years old. And, like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Wyman also uh, played basses that had. That, that was a similar. Travis Bean. 
That was the okay. original one. That's solid aluminum. That that neck on oh, wow. solid aluminum. And those things were so heavy. Oh my gosh. But they sounded great. They really right. did. But y'all you know, to play one, oh yeah. They were, <laughs> they were monsters. Yeah, I have um I actually have what three bases? I have uh, my oldest base is a 96 uh, uh, Iceman model. Um, cool. Yeah. And then is I it have. Is an Ibanez or is it? Yeah, a... yeah, yeah. It's an Ibanez. Okay. All right. And then I have an Ibanez that at this point is 2009. It's got more of like a, a strat body to it, or not a strat body, but more like a classic fender yeah, body to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it super lightweight? And, yes, it is actually. And it's got, it's the only base that I have with active pickups. Um, and then, I mean, I've got, I've got, um, I, I got a six string Chinese knockoff at the time when, you know, Chinese guitars started coming out. And it was like, oh, I can get something that's, uh, you know, a lot cheaper. And it's, you know, it's, it's a Gibson. Sure it is. Um, so yeah, I, I made the mistake of getting, uh, a, a, a few different, uh, Chinese guitars in one hall and there was a six string bass mixed in there. So, um, cool. but, uh, for the most part, I mean, I've been, um, most of my stuff is, is Ibanez actually. Um, my my most recent uh, acquisition, which uh, no one else in my household knows except for me, um, <laughs> is a uh, a Paul Gilbert model um, Ibanez Fireman. Um, do you know what a Fireman looks like? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. No. Okay. You got a handy? There we go. Yeah, show and tell here. I do have an exp- I do have an Explorer body type base. It's an Area Pro Two, uh, black oh, wow. and white. I don't know if anybody's ever seen the um, uh, Dio live video that was recorded. I think in Philadelphia, right? And it was right before. Um, um, oh, guy, what's his name? The original guitar player, Vivian Campbell. Yeah, thank you, Vivian Campbell. But he he played during his solo part of it. He played the the guitar version of that. It's black and white. And it's it's Explorer it's- body split the uh, yeah, diagonal. diagonally yeah yeah, yeah. George, i've seen george lynch with that as well yeah so i've got i've got the bass version of that and that thing is always also a really cool bass as well okay all right yes let's see can it, yeah it's hard to get oh yeah so that's the ice man no it's it's a fireman it's the opposite okay. of an ice man oh because it's on the the hooks on the top instead of the bottom exactly ah, let me see if i can zoom out here that is cool. That is very cool. And nobody knows you have that yet, huh? No. <laughs> so, so Victor, I mean, it's like, yeah, I've got guitars, basses, drums, the whole thing. Well, what do you consider yourself? A drummer or drummer? Guitars? Okay. Well, well, yeah, you know, I I love playing guitar and I love dabbling in it, um, but um, but I'm, I. Similar to what I mentioned uh, when I started, you know, demoing those songs a few years back, it was one of these dilemmas where I'm a, I'm a metal musician. I'm a metal musician. It was like, uh, I remember I watched this Foo Fighters documentary and, and at the end of it, I was like, um, I have no problem saying that I'm a rock based musician where I like different types of, I like all types of music, but 
when I play, I play more, you know, hard rock more than metal. As much as I'd like to be a metal guy, my, you know, the way that I play is probably closer to hard rock. Um, I learned how to play the drums before anything else. Um, and in pretty much every band that I've ever been in, I was a drummer. Even if I had to sing at any point in time, I was still a drummer. So uh, after, you know, I, I came to the realization that, okay, sure, I can demo stuff on guitar, but um, I'm a drummer. And uh, the last few times that I've actually played shows uh, over here, um, not, well, the majority of the times that I've played, it's been in a uh, Misfits tribute band. So uh, it's it's been uh, drums and backing vocals for that. And uh, uh, I also did, the, there was a local like award show. Um, wow, this is almost 10 years ago, I guess, at this point, because there's all this... There's all this legal stuff that put that award show to uh, to bed, unfortunately, but it was essentially members of different bands that would get together and, and jam covers. And we jammed uh, some Stone Temple Pilots, Monster Magnet and Clutch, actually. So, cool. so it was cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, let's hope we can all uh, get playing music again with other people one of these days soon. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I was just looking at Jeremy's uh, yeah. here too. Yeah, um, I play a Sky Blue Strat, mostly blues. I also have an Epiphone BB King Lucille, but my cousin has it on permanent loan as he's in a band, and it's very heavy playing on my knee. Yeah, um, I have a good friend who's a musician, and he often talks about how um, guitars would enter his household as being, oh, no, uh, the other guitarist lent me this guitar. And, you know, his wife would be like, uh, are you ever going to give that guitar back? Yeah, yeah, I'll give it back eventually, you know. So it's one of these, like, current things where, you know, uh, or recurring things where he would say, yeah, every guitar that's entered my household has actually been another member of the band's <laughs> instrument. So there you have it um that's pretty cool well hey so, so since we got mark playing guitar me playing bass you playing drums we should we should we should jam we should record something there you go i know that he was looking into um doing a um when you know all these people were doing the quarantine stuff yeah, uh yeah. he was looking to record something with john astronomy and his wife i believe and maybe some other people cool but you know, um, things started getting weird with all the licensing and, and stuff, which, you know, I, I, I don't get it. You know, if you're covering somebody's music, you're obviously bringing attention to their original piece of, you know, to their original material. Why would you fight someone bringing attention to your piece yeah. of art or piece of work or however you want to put it? You know, I, I, I've never understood that. Yeah, especially so. if you're not doing it for money. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If the the other thing is if if they're covering it and it's going on a live album, okay, I get that you you deserve yeah. a piece of the pie. But if it's for an online you know YouTube video to help promote music, to help promote a show, to you know, I I I don't get that at all. Uh, so I'm with you there. So, well, cool stuff, man. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. We're let's do uh, one last plug here for uh, Yard Metal. Yeah. 
Remember, oh, guys, they, they have... Oh, oh, Zero Days, Skid Row. I actually Skid Row. those, those uh, EPs they, they did before they kicked What's-His-Name out of the band. Yeah, uh, Solinger or whatever his name yeah. was. Yeah, oh, Johnny Solinger. Okay. Yeah. Good job. It's funny how, you know, as you get older, my like my brain just doesn't do names anymore. <laughs> I mean, they're in there somewhere. So it's kind of nice having somebody else to help me out with the with this Johnny Solinger. <laughs> yeah, so they did the, a couple of EPs, and uh, I I actually like those things. And I think they're pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's got some some pretty cool material on there. That's for sure. Um, Skid Row is actually a band that uh, I, I mentioned that that's uh, one of my midlife crisis bands. It was a band that I never got into, uh, partly because they're from New Jersey and they were rammed down our throats, you know, um, for years upon years. It's funny when I finally got to listen to the first album, like maybe ten years ago, I realized that Eddie Trunk had played the entire album, you know, over the years on his radio show. Um, because he had played one or one or two songs uh, every week. So, um, let's see. So, Jeremy has a question for you. He says, yeah. "How do you program Yarg? It's on twenty four seven. Yeah, it is. Never the rock never stops on Yarg metal. <laughs> That's right. Rock in the world 365 sometimes three sixty six. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, we have this uh, uh, not cheap software. Uh, it's radio programming software, and I basically just start plugging in songs. And, and man, I tell you, I think we talked about this last time we talked. I have over 11 days of programming. In oh, wow. Now. And I, 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 every so often I take songs out, but but for the most part, I think, well, if you're only hearing this once every 11 days, why should I just pull it out and maybe just right. leave it in? Yeah, so it just keeps building and building and building. I don't know if it has a limit. The guys that wrote the software claim it doesn't, but they think I'm weird. They think, well, why don't you just like do a two hour block and just run that over and over and over? It's like, what the hell? This isn't like regular radio where you, right. you ram people, you know, ram stuff down people's throats. This is about people listening to different music and, and educating yeah. people and sharing. And, and, uh, so yeah, so, so it's a software, uh, program and, um, I'm I'm hoping to get to where I'm doing live broadcasting on Yard Metal. I certainly have the ability to do that, and so uh, someday when I finally uh, decide to you know actually take the step to do that, that's that's going to be coming, Jeremy. So and Jeremy, you're awesome, man. That's all I can say. And I'd I'd kind of like to do something with you someday because uh, I I love that you post your songs of the day and kind of stuff. I I think we could tie that in kind of cool and uh, have a have a have you like introduce a song, make it a song of the day thing. So we can talk later. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I should get, I should get like you and Mark to do stuff too. Like intro a song or something, you know, have you guys like pull out some of your favorite old songs and, and, uh, and, you know, just have you guys introduce some songs. I think that'd be so cool. I'm, I'm down with that. You know, just right, let cool. me know. I think we got something going here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, like I said, this is not a this is not a competition. This is a you know we're all on the same team. We're on the, on the yeah. same the team of rock. And I know I think it was the last uh, 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 Mark Striegel podcast where he kind of you, you know it was one of his days where he was just down on everything and uh, <laughs> and the whole rock is dead thing. And you were you were kind of talking about the yeah Black Sabbath doing some, or Tony Omi doing something with Rob Halford. Right, um, heaven, heaven, and hellish, and he was just like, ah, "Who wants to? Who wants to hear that?" That's my Mark Striegel. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and I, and I thought, you know, yeah, that's you know, he's kind of speaking of the 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 world, but yet I think there are a lot of people that would love to hear that. Okay, yeah, these guys are old. So what? 
I mean, who cares how old people are, man? If if people are are putting out something, you know, you know that that's good. That's all that matters. And plus, there's a you know, yeah, I'm I'm all for I'm all for that kind of stuff, and I'm all for people doing anything that for uh, pushes forward rock. And I I and I get the whole rock is dead thing, but it isn't dead. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this right. right. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and also look at all those videos that you put out every day. These are rock bands that mm-hmm. are recording and making videos and putting stuff out. They're rock bands. Somebody's putting money into that. I mean, these things are going, and and of course, it's different in the U.S. The U.S. is the worst for new music, the absolute worst. And I, I get the, I don't know what it's like in Spain, but again, we can make that a topic for another day. Is like who, who is the most receptive to actually supporting? new rock music i feel like sweden it seems like most i was gonna say sweden the the swedes seem to be uh because it's it's even worse here in spain there's there's like a national rock station called uh uh rock fm rock fm and uh what uh great name it, it was funny because i remember when it started up i was like oh wow we're finally getting you know a rock station put it on Smoke on the Water, followed by Comfortably Numb, followed by uh, Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones, followed by, I forget what Beatles song, and it was like, ah. Yep. People wonder why people don't listen or why, you know, people have started listening to podcasts or have started, you know, listening to streaming services or just downloading stuff on their phones and whatnot. Because people don't want to listen to that same crap as you're saying, you know, those two hour blocks over and over again. And that's what this station essentially is. You know, it's funny. My wife is a huge fan of the doors. I can't stomach the the one. (laughs) Well, I can't stomach the doors because as a kid, they played them so much that it just drove me crazy. Um, And I, I will actually say that I've been, a very bad influence on her to the point where, you know, I like all types of music. I like rock music. I like pop music. You know, I've growing up in like, you know, doing like marching band and school band and stuff like that. You know, you learn to interpret different pieces of music and different styles of music. So for me, I can appreciate different things and, you know, I'll throw something on it. She'll be like, take this crap off. Isn't there something heavier we can listen to? It's like, Okay. <laughs> sure. Sure there is. So, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, just hearing all that stuff just drives me absolutely nuts, you know, and I've, I've been going back, uh, because I switched over to Apple music as my streaming service okay. and they killed all of my previous playlists when I did that. So I had to start going back and rebuild every single playlist that I had. And as a result, I've actually checked out a lot of stuff that maybe as a kid, I kind of poo pooed, but have now become to, to appreciate. Um, And a lot of it is, you know, my brother the other day called me up and he started talking about uh, earth, wind and fire. I said, well, if I want to listen to earth, wind and fire, I'd prefer to listen to the temptations. He's like, get out of here. Like, no, I'm like, you know, I, I like, you know, the orchestration of their music a lot more. And I like the bass parts, which seem to be a yeah. lot more complex that, uh, that carry 
a lot, a lot of that stuff. And, you know, in hindsight, maybe it was the wrecking crew that was actually behind some of their stuff, but just hearing like the little intricacies of like, you know, you're listening to a song and you're hearing, you know, a xylophone or you're hearing, you know, a triangle or just different things that help build a lot of, a, a lot of that stuff. So, uh, yeah, my, my cousin is chiming in with WDHA. That's the, that's the station that Eddie Trunk was first a part of. Uh, uh, and he's, he's saying the rock of North Jersey. That's their, that's their motto to this day. And the station was good, but like almost every other station, once they got bought out by a corporate yeah. entity, you know, we're, we're on a corporate playlist where Henner Sandman, Smoke on the Water, Comfortably yeah. Numb, Day Tripper, you know, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, know, a, lot of, a lot of people don't realize what's, at least in America, what's going on with these rock stations. They're all being programmed by this somebody in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, a couple of years ago, I was doing a, a live spot on a local, the local rock radio station here in Utah, uh, K-Bear. Mm-hmm. Great name, and uh, <laughs> and and so the DJs are really cool. We're ta- we're as promoting this uh, Christmas rock show that I used to do every year until COVID, and um, and so they were getting ready to go back to the regular programming, and and so I kind of asked them about that. I said, so so it's like, hey, you know, can you play a song? And he says, we cannot play any music from here. He says, all we can, you know, he says, all this stuff is coming from Atlanta, Georgia, and and then the breaks, we get the breaks and we can talk. But he says, I, there's no way, like, if you say, I want to hear this song, I can't play a song here. I have right. no music. Like, what the? Well, That's radio? You, yeah. And and the, the kicker, too, is that they do the all-request lunch hour. And the all-request lunch hour is also pre-programmed with usually um, the interns, calling in as if they're, you know, uh, it's Jerry from Allendale. What would you like to hear? Yeah. Can I hear Mississippi queen by mountain? Sure. Let's play that. You know, it's, we've already played it part of the no repeat work day, but since Jerry from Allendale wants it, let's play Mississippi queen again. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so, so, yeah, they, 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 yeah. Uh, Post mid nineties, they did everything, everything possible. And this is, you know, they, they did everything possible to drive people to Napster and all these things, in my opinion, because they, there's so many things that they did wrong in that decade. And I know that there's still a lot of artists that say, Oh, you know, this is, that was our last big decade. Well, when you had, you know, the, the CD release of an album, the cassette release, the vinyl release. Oh, we're killing vinyl now. Oh, now, now we're going to kill cassette. Oh, wait, now we have to remaster a CD because we didn't master it correctly the first time. Even even now with the vinyls, they're saying, oh, well, is it the original mix or is this a digital mix from the? It's like the whole thing is like smoke and mirrors and, and they continue to make money off of people. And they, they don't realize that part of the problem this whole time was gluttony, you know, was instead of trying to help fans or instead of encouraging people to do different things, they've just done more things to make more money along the way by kind of ripping people off, unfortunately. So, I mean, I, I get it. I, I, I don't do the stuff myself, but I get why people have reached out and 
you know, through nefarious uh, reason or through nefarious means, went out and got, you know, the 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 fifth time that uh, you know Def Leppard reissued Hysteria because you know it wasn't it, it wasn't good enough the first three times that now we got to put it out a fifth and a sixth time. Come on, you know that just I don't know. That's that that's just um, it, to me it's gluttony. So yeah. Yeah, well, it's the music business, right? Yeah. Somebody, somebody's making money, not the musicians. Yeah, the musicians absolutely. It's making money. All right. Yeah. So Jeremy here is saying we have Planet Rock. It plays yeah. classics, but new stuff as well. And takes some new bands on tour as well as sponsoring smaller festivals. One of the presenters, Wyatt Wendell's, is the drummer in Black Spiders. Okay, well, th- that's cool. Um, and I believe that when I did Ear Peeler, um, I promoted stuff from Planet Rock. I, I know that they were prevalent on a lot of different um, UK stations. Um Let's see. Uh, Jose is saying that happened to 97X in Cincinnati, which had a great, vi- a great college radio vibe. Um, well, let's see. Gabriel chiming in the uh, the metal dentist. Uh, congrats on 200 episodes, Victor. Why? Thank you, sir. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's 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 unfortunate. Um, I, I was at college radio and there's so many things that I got to listen to before they became big, you know, whether you like it or not. Um, I got to hear rage against machine probably like six months before MTV even played them. You know, I still have the, the white promo copy of their first album, which is just the, the a cassette with a white piece of paper that someone used typewriter on it says rage against the machine. And it just has the songs on typewriter on this, uh, on this piece of paper. You know, I, I have that for a bunch of different things that I think the stone temple pilots first album. Um, I have that for a sacred Reich album. I have a bunch of things like that. And that element of, you know, listening to checking out, you know, a college station or like a a secondary market station where you could hear bands that other markets weren't playing to me was cool. And all that's that that's gone. You know, it, it, it sucks because, I mean, you being out in Utah, you would hope that maybe they would promote bands from Utah somehow, you know, but. You know, how many Utah bands make it on regular radio? Yeah. And and anybody who is was from here or whatever, they've since moved on. Like, was it the Killers? Right. Uh, that, that Yeah. I mean, they're now supposedly from Las Vegas because that's right. where they, you know, made their bones. But, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, because back in the early 80s, uh, my band, when we were recording, we made friends with this uh, local DJ. And she'd have us come in the studio on Sunday nights because they could get away with anything on a Sunday night. And, uh, we, you know, it's like we'd be in the studio and she'd say, well, if you guys got anything new, we'd be like, yeah, 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 we got it. And we'd just run a cassette of it, you know, just to, not the real mix, you know, and bring it in. And then uh, she'd let people call in. It was it was cool, man. It was it was fun. And uh, then we, we'd get to request songs. We'd go, go through all their music and say, hey, let's play this. And, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that makes radio fun, man. You get people in. Right. Like having Mark jump in here right now, that's that's what makes this kind of thing fun. I mean, you can right. get, you know, get people like, Oh, let's tune in and see who's dropping in on Victor's show today. Sure. How cool is that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's definitely that um, element of surprise or that element of danger is definitely missing from a lot of things, you know, um, where you think back to when we were all coming up and artists that seemed dangerous back then now are like passe, you know, it's funny. Uh, people will say, uh, you know, I saw a thing where they said that Slayer was dad rock and, and it was, it's one of these things where sure it's dad rock because, um, you know, um, People grew up listening to it. People grew up with their old man listening to Slayer or, you know, in, in our cases, our, our kids are growing up listening to Iron Maiden. And, you know, in my household, uh, I've got my youngest listening to, you know, ACDC, Maiden and Anthrax. Um, so, you know, th those are things that by the time they get to be teenagers, it's it's passe to them. It's not, it's not dangerous or exciting because they've grown up with it. They've become accustomed to it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it, you know, what's really funny. Like, and I know we're guy, we're going way on here, but you know, the first time I heard Iron Maiden, you're like, Holy crap. Yeah. That'll never get on the radio. The first album <laughs> I, I heard was killers. That was the first one okay. to find in, in the U S anyway, the first album just never, made it anywhere okay and of course it came out later you could buy it but i got that album i put it on i was like what the hell is this and <laughs> it was it was so fast and so just and the bass playing and and i'm like i, I couldn't i couldn't even play through one of those songs without having to take a break because i'm like that what you know <laughs> what that guy's doing is just like i can't do that uh, right but and, and now you listen to that stuff it's just like oh you could probably hear that in a grocery store now and it wouldn't right like, nobody nobody would go what the hell is that you know yeah it's weird. it's weird how we get conditioned to certain things yeah absolutely um yeah ki killers i i someone brought it up recently it was the uh 40th anniversary i guess of that album coming out and to me the second side of killers is a perfect album side uh each yeah. song is completely different one from the others we were mentioning before and it just it just flows perfectly from the title track to prodigal son to twilight zone to drifters just four songs but to me that's that's perfection right there but even you know and, and as you see we're circling back to what we were talking about earlier about <laughs> bands willing to do something different on an album twilight zone i mean how i mean that song is just like how does that fit on that album but it does right. but it's so right it doesn't fit the MO. It doesn't fit, you know, what, what Maiden is doing. If, if that was the only song you heard from Maiden, you'd be like, mm -hmm. oh, okay. You kind of get a different idea about what that band's about. But I, I, I don't know. I support that. I support bands being able to just do different things on their albums, do whatever they want to do. I mean, that's what music should be. It should be like you're writing songs you want to write and then let people fall in love with them. Yeah. You know? and rather than, well, let's see, I got to think of something that people, you know, that sounds like what, other people like and i want to write right. a song like that it's like eh, you know. and there's so many bands that have done that over over time as well well we had this one big hit so we need to put out something that's similar to that to let people yeah. know that that's our dna or that's you know this it's familiar to them and to me it seems kind of cheap that that people do that you know just be yourself put out something different so um, I like that, that Jeremy and Gabriel have got their own little uh, discussion going on on the side, <laughs> which is way cool, dudes. I like what you guys are talking about. Yeah, what's your your first album, first metal album? That that's that's great stuff, man. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 
And now it's, I've gotten to the point now where I, I'm, I'm thinking, cause I, I was like, Oh, I should buy the CD. I'm like, well, why? Cause where am I going to listen to a CD at anymore? <laughs> I was like, I might as well just download it. So at least it's on my phone. I can listen to it there in the car. Cause I, right. my, new, my new car doesn't even have a CD player. So, right. Uh, uh. But, Oh, another thing you talked about your, you know, our kids, okay. Turning our kids in, in onto music. Uh, mm-hmm. My son who's 19, he, uh, I, I, went and had breakfast with him yesterday. He, him and his buddies went on this weird uh, trip to Idaho to these uh, hot springs. Okay. And, uh, and so we're driving around in my car and a ghost song came on. He goes, Oh dad says, you're going to dig this man. He says on our, on our trip, you know, I asked the guys, I said, have you guys ever heard, heard ghost? And of course none of them had. So he says, huh. yeah, he says, I played ghost the whole rest of the way and everybody was digging it. And they go, Oh, oh cool. Way, way to go, son. Yeah, good job. That's my, that's my boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I got to see them once at a festival at a sonosphere festival it was uh they actually were one of the first bands to hit the stage so it was broad daylight when they played um that's yeah flip flip side there you brought up saxon before um we got to see um dio on his last solo tour right before he went to the hospital mm. and um it was a full day festival and, and it was funny because whenever I see people bring up Blind Guardian uh, and actually Jeremy's been bringing up Europe lately um, on Twitter, no disrespect to uh, either band, but uh, my wife and I had to make a choice. Do we stand in front of the main stage and wait for Dio to come on and have a decent, you know, a decent view for, for Dio and for Kiss who's coming on after, or do we go see Europe and uh, Blind Guardian? So uh, we ended up seeing, um, we ended up not seeing Europe and Blind Guardian, just hearing them and, and waiting for Dio and Kiss to come on. Well, Kiss was done and the way the festivals are done here, the headliner isn't the last band to go on. There's still bands that come on after. Um, so at Quarter to four in the morning, <laughs> Saxon hits the stage. They were the last wow. band to go on. And Biff Byford says, only in Spain can you go on stage at quarter to four in the morning. You have to love it. So, uh, yeah, they ripped into the the rest of their set. By that time, I mean, we had been standing all day mm-hmm. and... And, 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 and my wife and I uh, decided to um, go back to the car. That was a, uh, th- th- that was a journey all to itself. That was uh, me um, uh, becoming familiar with an area that I wasn't too familiar with. And we left, we left that at like four in the morning. We got back to our car at like seven. So uh, <laughs> wow. what was, was an interesting evening. Yeah. So yeah, well, I bet I bet Saxon tore it up though, even at four a.m. Oh, they they were good. They, guys they, old. Saxon is the band that I've seen the most indirectly, in the sense that I've gone to see another band, and they end up either playing on the festival bill or they end up being the uh, one of the opening acts. So I've seen them open for for Priest as well, and I've seen them at two festivals. So. Yeah, it's funny. My uh, first time I interviewed the uh, guys from Saxon, it was the drummer and, and Paul Quinn, original guitar player. Right. And my son was with me. It was in Anaheim. And uh, we flew down, flew down, 
and drove right to the venue and Paul Quinn was hanging around uh, in the back. And so we started talking to him and, and uh, geez, I mean, he's not only is he old, but he looks old. Okay. So, <laughs> so we're, we're talking to him and, and uh, we chatted him up for quite a while. And then, so later the concert, so they come on stage and my son looks at me and goes, how is that the same guy that we were just talking to? <laughs> it's, like, it's like what happened to him i mean all, i mean he was like this really old man that we were talking to and now it's kind of like there was that commercial years ago about uh these old people that dressed up and did a rock show and then afterwards they're taking off all this stuff but uh but yeah it's like the, the music just made him alive all of a sudden and he just killed it i mean i said yeah it's hard to believe that's the same guy but that's what good rock music will do to you it'll keep you young and yeah and uh you know let's like an old guy like me. I mean, here I am, sixty <laughs> years old, and and wearing an Iron Maiden shirt. Uh, so you know, good times, good times. I, I'm gonna rock forever, man. There you go. Um, so Jeremy is telling us that he, I am on their live at Manchester album, shouting. That's awesome. <laughs> that is very awesome. You know, it's yeah. funny. It, it, you know, there's some live albums where there's this one point where you can just hear like one guy scream. And I always wonder, like, okay, like UFO at the beginning of Love to Love on the, mm-hmm. um, you know, the big UFO. Strangers in the Night, yeah. Yeah, that guy who yells that, it lets out that big scream at the beginning there. Uh, I'm like, guy, who is that guy? Somebody needs to know. Who, I mean, somebody knows who that guy is. I just want, I just want him to stand up and say, hey, that was me. Yeah. And then uh, was it Scorpions Tokyo tapes? Uh, uh, we'll burn the sky right before mm-hmm. they, you know, they do they do the kind of slow, you know, verse stuff, and right before the chorus kicks in, somebody yells out there, uh, just a huge, awesome scream. I'm like. Who is that person? Right. We need to know who that person is. Yeah. Like the guys in the the first Kiss Alive album that were on the you know holding the post on the back, yeah. yeah which they, they those guys have come come out. I've I've seen interviews with the, with them. Which is <laughs> cool. It's like I like how you know I want to be one of those guys. I want to be the guy that you can listen to live album and go that was me. Man. Yeah, that, that was me. So Jeremy, good on you. Man. <laughs> well, well, well done. <laughs> Ma, this is me on the live album. <laughs> yeah, I gotta tell you, Victor, you get like the coolest people in your in your live uh, stream here. Uh, these are all really cool people. Every well, I, I I appreciate that. I, I consider every every one of them. Um, you know, I consider every one of them an integral part of what I do with uh, podcasting, and um, also uh, it, it also helps that I have a large family. So two of them are part of my family. So I'll I'll, I'll admit to that as well. So well, other than um, my brother, I don't know if he's still awake and listening. He might be. Asleep, <laughs> he's older than me. Plus, he's yeah, on the I, East Coast. I, he's in Connecticut. Oh, he is. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I know that I have um, other people that that check the uh live stream out but just don't chime in so uh yeah. you know um uh, it's let's, it's cool let's build this thing up let's make it a community let's get more people absolutely let's, let's fill up that right side of the chat room uh because I, I like the side chats i like that people are in here talking about rock music man this is like so yeah. incredibly cool uh this we could we could build this thing man Absolutely. Build it and they will come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Build it and they will rock. How's that? Yeah. That could be, that could be your logo. I'll, I'm, I mean, your, uh, your slogan, I'll let you take that, man. <laughs> cool. So uh, we're going to wrap it up here. I want to thank everyone that was involved tonight, Brad, Mark Striegel, everyone in the chat. Um, 
I did post the episode 199 today on MarsAttacksRadio.com. If you're subscribed to the podcast on any of your favorite, you know, podcasting app, you should have been able to uh, stream it or download it today. Um, also, I got back to doing the uh, new releases after uh, being sick the last few weeks, and um, uh, some some interesting things. I I, I think maybe. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I, I think uh, it was funny. You mentioned about Mark being uh, negative. I was kind of negative with my reviews today because I was kind of pissy with some of the things that I'd read online. Um, <laughs> a, a, a publication over in the UK did a did a review of the uh, Love and Death album, which is the side project from uh, Brian Head Welsh from Corn. Um, and the review was essentially, oh, you know, if uh, new metal hasn't aged well, and uh, you know, if uh, if you like new metal, this is a new metal album, and Justin Bieber appears on it, and blah blah blah. And I'm like, uh, you've got like almost everything wrong in this review, and this is a highly regarded like um, site supposedly, and so the gist of it is that they cover a Justin Bieber song, but the person that actually sings on the track is someone by the name of Lacey Stern. She was part of a band called Flyleaf. Um, so, I mean, it, it amazes me how, you know, I try to go after certain acts or certain things and I'm told that, you know, they're not available to me, but yet a large publication like this just says, ah, fuck it, you know, eight words about a, uh, about an album and it doesn't matter what they write because obviously whoever wrote it didn't even, didn't even, uh, you know, bother to, to research or to even listen to the album. So, yeah, um, pretty sad. Well, yeah. Yeah. And, and Jeremy, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like anybody's grumpy right now in here. So again, <laughs> this, is, this is your cure to grumpiness right here. Yeah. There you go. Is uh, Mars attacks. I guess Jeremy's saying that I know that Jeremy, um, if I'm not mistaken, is um, confined to uh, his home. Oh, so because yeah. I think in, in the UK they're all on lockdown. So I I could I could I could understand I that. that. That that was me from March to June. So <laughs> yeah, I, I I get that too. It's been hey, it's been tough for all of us, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, someday let's all get together. It's absolutely, that would be the, that would be the coolest thing ever. That's one of my goals this year. Well, maybe it'll be next year is to come to Europe. So cool. Um, yeah. Maybe I can get, hang out with all of you cool people. Awesome. And then uh, those, those of you who are in the States, I don't know who, who's in the States here. Yeah. I think we're, we're half and half here. Jeremy and me are in the UK and everyone else is in the States. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's grow this group and let's make this a huge, uh, huge group of friends that like to rock. Awesome. Yeah. So, all right, guys, want to thank everyone once again. Uh, and Brad, once again, thank you. Hopefully the next time you're free, you. we can have you back on. Please. And, um, and yeah, thanks. Thanks to everyone again. We'll be back next Friday, same time, 6 p.m. Eastern, uh, 3 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. in the UK, midnight for everyone, mainly in Europe. And the audio version of this will be released at some point next week. So um, that is it, folks. Thanks again. And we will catch you next time right here on Signals from Mars, brought to you by the Mars Attacks podcasts. See you guys. Rock out, everybody.